Thank you for listening to this teaching from Kingdom Discipleship. Today, we're going to finish part three of The Prodigal Son. We're going to take a deep look at the older brother, and as we go through this, I believe we'll find that the older brother in this parable often represents us in various aspects of our lives. Let's open now to Luke 15 as we study verses 25 to 32 and finish this incredible parable of the prodigal son. Well, good morning and welcome to another teaching. It's a Saturday morning here and uh, we weren't planning on doing this teaching for a while, but I had an old friend of mine call me and ask me where the part three of this teaching was and uh, he was rather impatient and so here it is and uh, he knows who that is and uh, so here we are and Stephen was up with me this morning to our IT guy who uh, does a great job on, uh, on, on, on all that goes into me talking on these things. I mean, um, there's just a lot that goes into creating a podcast, a lot that goes into the editing. And so I, I appreciate him and the work he does. Um, he's a good growing disciple in Jesus. Thank you, Lord. And so here we are at, uh, what is it? 7.06 a.m. on Saturday morning, and now uh, we're going to finish up uh, the parable of the prodigal son. Today we're going to discuss verses 25 to 32. It's going to be about the older son. Talked about the younger son, who is the prodigal son. Talked a lot about the father, who represents our heavenly father. And again, this is going to be the older son. As I've said in the previous podcasts, I believe that for the most part that this, this parable is not taught correctly. Uh, generally, this parable is taught about salvation. It's taught that the younger son needs to come to the heavenly father to be saved. And then in this section, it's generally taught that Jesus is referring to, to people with a, a pharisaical heart, or he's talking about the Pharisees, whose heart is hard and doesn't have mercy and doesn't understand their need for mercy. And again, I, I can see an application for that, but again, I believe that's, it's, uh, that's a very shallow interpretation, and I don't at all believe that was what Jesus meant when he, was, when he was teaching this parable. Again, if the parable is about an unbeliever, it has very little application for us at all as believers. And again, the Bible was written for believers in Jesus Christ, those who have received Jesus Christ as their Savior. And so when we look at this, we see that the father has two sons. They're both already sons. They're both already in their father's house. So I firmly believe that this is talking about Christians who have received Jesus Christ as their savior. And uh, it's a teaching on, on areas of our life and uh, ways as the younger prodigal that we have misused our inheritance or his estate. And we talked about how we do not always or often use our time, talents, and treasures in the ways our father would have us to. Like the prodigal who squandered his father's estate or inheritance, we often 
are using our time, our talents, our treasures, all these things our Heavenly Father has given us in ways that are far more self-serving um, and to our own ends and the advancement of our own lives, our own careers, as opposed to using them increasingly for the advancement of the kingdom of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we discuss the younger son with regard to that. And so now we're going to get in and finish this parable on the older son. So we'll go ahead and pray and then we'll read it and we'll get right into it. Well, Lord Jesus, we thank you for the word of God. Lord Jesus, we thank you for giving us this parable of the prodigal son, Lord. It's, a, uh, it's, it's, it's obviously been famous. All of us who have been Christians have known of it our entire lives. We've had it for 2,000 years, Lord, and it's one of the most profound teachings in all the history of the world and in all the Bible. Holy Spirit, we ask you to lead us and guide us now as we uh, go through these last eight verses. We just pray your blessing and favor and mercy on this time now. Father, we invite you into this time. We pray that your kingdom would come and your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him? My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Thank you, Lord Jesus. So the first question we ask ourselves, we say it in every podcast, is why is this in the Bible? When you read this parable, and when you read this part about the older son, it's not just in here, so you can read it and say that's an interesting story, but you really want to study it because Romans 15.4 says that it's in here to teach us and to instruct us. It says that, uh, Paul says that everything that was written in the past was written to teach us or instruct us, not simply to be an interesting story. And 1 Corinthians 10 verses 6 and 11 say that these things are written as examples to us. So when we read this, we want to see what's the example uh, to you and I. What is it? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight verses. Verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. Now again, recognize that um, he is already a son of his father. He's always been with his father. He's in his father's house. So I'm going to say again, uh, this represents a believer in Jesus Christ. And it says he was in the field. Well, what was he doing in the field? Well, obviously he was working. In Jesus' day, the workday started at 6 a.m., ended at 6 p.m., so it was a 12-hour workday. And so the older son comes in from working a long, hard day on his father's property and for his father. And now think about this. Uh, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you're doing 
the work of the kingdom of God. And, and you're working hard in the field. It's been a long day. You're doing your job. I can certainly relate to this. I'd certainly see some older son in me. So he comes in after a long, hard day of work, again, in his father's house, in his father's kingdom, on his father's property. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. 26. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Obviously, he doesn't know what's going on because he's got his nose to the grindstone doing the work that his father has given him to do. Verse 27, your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. Verse 28, the older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. Why did he become angry? I've said what I said about being in the field and working a long day. Try to imagine how you would feel in this situation. The older brother thinks that his father is, um, has just lost it a little bit. The, other, the older brother believes that his father has a, a clear lack of perspective here. You know, we can almost sympathize with the older brother if we really look at it, right? He's in the field. He's working his butt off. He's, he's doing what his father has asked him to do. And his younger brother comes home after wasting and squandering all of their father's inheritance in a in an absurd way. And, and he's throwing a party for him. So when you look at this, you can, you, don't we have these, this sense of injustice sometimes in us, this sense of golly, man, why, why would we celebrate? Yeah, that's wonderful that he's home, but he's just been living this absurd sinful, ridiculous life. He's, he wasted all your money with prostitutes and you're throwing a party for him. And not only a party, you're throwing the grandest party that can be thrown. You killed the fat and calf, which is supposed to be reserved for the most special, beautiful bar mitzvahs or, or incredible weddings or parties or whatever you can throw the fat and calf. You can, you, can, you can almost sympathize with the older brother. Um, of course I'm happy my brother's home, but you ought to be rebuking him. You don't throw this huge party for him. And so when I look in, inside myself, sometimes I will have this, this heightened sense of injustice. Like I am, uh, golly, Father, you know, I'm out doing the work of the kingdom. I'm doing these things over here. And yet I got to have these problems. I got to have these difficulties. And here you are blessing so-and-so over here and they're not doing nothing. Lord, forgive me. I got some older brother in me. I do. But this is so interesting. So again, when you look at it from the brother's perspective, I think he loves his brother. He's happy he's home. But do we really... Do we really need to be throwing a party for someone who's acted so obscene and sinfully and wasted your estate and your inheritance, Father? Why would you do this? It's great that he's home, but he needs a good, firm rebuke, not a party. And uh, 
And as believers, I think we make this mistake. You know, when when a Christian comes, and obviously this can be an unbeliever. If an unbeliever comes to you, I don't believe that's why it's in here. But when a believer or unbeliever repents, the first thing we want to do is love them. The first thing we want to do is encourage them. No matter what the sin is, we want to love on them and we want to encourage them. Now, the, the love of this father is so incredibly lavish that he even throws an incredible party for him. There'll be a time for accountability later. But first, let's celebrate because a Christian has come to repentance wherever it is. Let's be excited that your brother has come home. And again, if, if you happen to have someone who's come to Jesus Christ, of course you can be excited. And, and in that case, you know, now they're a Christian and now you begin to teach them the way a Christian should live. And if, if you're a Christian today and you've been uh, wasting your time, talents, and treasures as the prodigal has in self-serving living and in uh, using your time, your your gifts and talents, and your money, and on your own pleasures and in your own life, and not using them very much for the kingdom of God, then then repent. And when you do, we saw in the previous teaching that the Father is overwhelmed. Your repentance over that it just brings him tremendous joy. But then you know you want to begin to do accountability, and you don't want to live in that way anymore. You don't, you want to repent of prodigal living in your life. And I want to repent of it in my life. So again, you can, you can almost understand the brother's frustration. Why would you throw a party over someone that has, has so very much wasted your inheritance in, in the most sinful of ways? And again, if you see it in that perspective, perhaps you can see that you have some indignance in you when you see, you know, people celebrating things that really ought not be celebrated. Okay, I get it. He's home. I'm happy. He's my brother. I love him. But really, the fattened calf? And in that, we are going to see the this immense picture of the Father's love and compassion and mercy and, and it's going to be a picture for us, for those of us who've got a lot of older son in us, for those of us who, who are out working. And let's say you, uh, you know, you, you work hard at your, your, you know, your, your regular job, right? Um, whatever your job is, and you put in 50, 60, 70 hours a week, and, you know, you apply yourself, and you work hard, and you pay the bills, and you save the money. There's just something about a guy, you know, or a lady who's just been not working at all, but just blowing their money on ridiculous living, that that's great that they've repented, but do we really need a party? The older brother became angry and refused to go in. Again, so I don't think it's that he doesn't love his brother. I don't even think that it's that I think he's happy he's home. Um, but but music and dancing and the fattened calf? Um, are you kidding me? The second, uh, the second half of verse 28 says something incredible. It says, so his father went out and pleaded with him. The father didn't go after the younger son. And what I believe we have a picture of here is the older son is a mature Christian. 
The older son is someone who is doing the work in his father's kingdom. The older son is someone who is walking with his father in a, in a more obedient and substantial way. Uh, but however, he still does lack some things. He lacks a certain perspective. He lacks a degree of compassion and mercy. And we see that his father's willing to go out and plead with him. This is not something you see in the Bible. Clearly, this father represents God our father. It says he went out and pleaded with him. You notice in the first half of the parable, the father doesn't go chase the younger son. The father waits for the son to repent, waits for the son to get up, waits for the son to come home. And then when he's within eye shot, then he runs to the son and meets him. He does not go running after a younger son who is completely misusing his time, talents, and treasures. But here, with an older son who is diligently doing the work the father has given him to do, the father is willing to go out to him. And I think this is a picture that the more intimately you walk with Jesus, the more intimately you walk with your heavenly father and obey him, he is willing to go out and meet you. But if, if you're a Christian and really... Uh, doing the work of the kingdom of God and obeying him and using your time, talents, and treasures is not really a priority to you when it comes to advancing the kingdom of God, but pretty much you, you, know, you use everything that God has given you for your own ends, or I use it for my own ends, and the Father's not going to go chasing us in that. But, I mean, he'll wait for you to repent, he'll wait for you to come home, and he'll meet you when he sees you coming home. But here, he fully goes to where the sun is. And look at that uh, Look at that dichotomy. Look at that difference. So his father went out and pleaded with him. The father is begging the son to come in and to celebrate. Now, again, I don't believe he's telling him to come in and get saved. He's already a son. He's already saved. He's already working diligently. He's just come in from working a full day in his father's field, and he's coming home to a party, not only that, to a party to his rogue brother who's gone off the reservation, right? Verse 29, but he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him? You can see the hurt and the pain that's coming from the older son, but it's a lack of perspective. And sometimes we get hurt as believers, and even believers that are doing the work of the ministry, the believers that, that go to church and we give and we minister and we share the gospel. I mean, sometimes we can just... We can just be hurt when we don't understand things. We can be frustrated. We can be mad. Certainly I can. I got some older brother in me. His father is pleading with him. Now it's interesting. The father's going to answer him in the last two verses, 31 and 32. But the father's not going to deny what the older son said. It's interesting. Both sons give speeches to the father. The younger son says, Father, I'm not worthy to be called your son. I've sinned against heaven and against you. 
All of that is true, and it's true of us. We're not worthy to be called sons of God. It's only by the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ our Lord that we're saved and that our sins are forgiven. Um, so we're not worthy. And you notice the father doesn't argue that point because it's true. The younger son confesses his sin. The father listens to it, and he goes on to immediately loving and affirming the younger prodigal when he's come home. Now look at this. This is interesting. The older son says, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. And the father doesn't deny. Uh, I, I think the older son is exasperating, so he's using a little hyperbole here. Been slaving, never disobeyed your orders. We tend to use a little hyperbole when we get worked up, right? Forgive me, Lord Jesus, when I... <laughs> You know, you know, Lord, I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Well, Lord, there's there's some hyperbole in there. Um, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. The father doesn't deny that that's true. All of that is true. What the older son is saying is in principle true. Yes, the older son is exaggerating a little bit, but there's no doubt the father had not given him a young goat to celebrate. And then verse 30, but when this son of yours, and you notice that he identifies his younger brother by his mistakes. And, and we want to watch out for that as believers, particularly believers that are active. As active believers who are doing the work of the kingdom of God in various ways, sometimes we can be critical, extremely critical, sinfully critical of those who are not. And in that, we can identify them by their mistakes and only their mistakes. He, this older brother should have a joy that his brothers come home. We understand that he's off put, but his father's going to explain to him that, you know, there'll be a time later for accountability. But right now, we just need to celebrate and be excited. We want to watch that critical spirit in us. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, so you notice that he identifies his brother by his mistakes and by his weaknesses. And Holy Spirit, we ask you to lead us and guide us and convict us when we have a propensity to do this. We have a propensity, propensity to identify our brothers and sisters in Christ or anyone by their weaknesses. Um, we're not supposed to put our head in the sand. We do, uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, that the spiritual man makes judgments about all things. In everything, you know, we need to make a judgment that something is right or something is wrong in our own lives first and then in others, right? But you do it in a loving fashion. There's a difference between making a judgment, calling right, right, and wrong, wrong, and being judgmental and having a judgmental, sinful, condemning heart. Again, the spiritual man makes judgments about all things. The closer you walk with Christ, the more you'll make a judgment about what's the will of Jesus in this matter, or what's the heart of Jesus in this matter, or what is Jesus calling us to do in this matter. You're going to make a judgment. But to be judgmental is always sinful. To be condemning is always sinful. Uh, to have contempt for people is always sinful. So... Father, I ask you to help us um, with, with this aspect of the older son in us, particularly us who are doing the work of the kingdom, Lord, when we have this attitude 
um, and this tremendous sinful frustration with those who are not. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes, and particularly when we're angry, right? When we're angry, when we're frustrated, we want to lash out, right? You, you can, can you just not see this? Have you never been in an argument or and had someone treat you this way or just yell at you and just want to affirm all the things you did wrong? Um, and have you ever done that to somebody? Have you ever been in an argument and you wanted to make your point and you wanted to drive it home so you threw somebody else under the bus and all that they had done wrong? Forgive us, Lord Jesus, when uh, when we live in this way and when we speak in this way, Lord. Help us to, to identify our brothers and sisters in Christ, Lord. To identify people not by their weaknesses. Thank you, Lord. I'll say again, it, it doesn't mean we don't see it. We don't acknowledge it. We make a judgment about all things. Again, there's a difference between making a judgment and being judgmental, as I've said clearly here, right? The Word of God is, is not a nebulous or gray book. It's very black and white. It tells us what's right. It tells us what's wrong. It tells us the will of God in every aspect of our lives. Um, it tells us very clearly that we're all sinful. Every human being is sinful. It tells us clearly that every human being needs Jesus Christ. It tells us clearly that without Jesus, no one will see heaven. And, and we need to be clear on that. It's the greatest love in the world to share, to share the love of God in Jesus Christ because without it, no one can have their sins forgiven. And without your sins forgiven, you cannot go to heaven. And the only other place is eternal hell where you pay your sin debt yourself. As opposed to if you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, Jesus pays the debt on your behalf. Jesus died on your behalf. He was punished on your behalf. Yeah, even went to hell on your behalf, but he conquered hell where we would have served eternal punishment in hell. So the word of God is very clear on this. But when we tell people this, we, we, don't, we don't condemn them. We don't, we don't say, you disgusting sinner. We share the truth in love, Ephesians 4. We say, hey man, the Bible says we're all sinful and, and we need Jesus. Uh, all of us are equal at the foot of the cross. I used to have a brother who would say, you know, we're all equal at the foot of the cross, whether it's me, you, the Pope, or Billy Graham, we're all equal at the foot of the cross. We all need Jesus. Um, and that's certainly true. Um, we all need him completely and only. And without him, none of us can have our sins forgiven. So again, if you're listening to this and you have not called on Jesus and asked him to come into your heart, do it now. Just simply pray, Lord Jesus, I, I do confess I'm a sinful man or woman, and, uh, and I ask you to save me from my sin. I believed you lived a perfect life for me and died a perfect death for me. And Jesus, I believe you're alive and risen, and I ask you to come into my heart and be the Lord of my life and save me from my sin and bring me to heaven when I die. Jesus, I place all my faith and trust and confidence in you alone to save me and to be my everlasting Lord and God. Um, that's how we're saved. And the Bible is clear on that, that every human being must come to that point where they receive Jesus. Thank you, Lord. All right, finishing up, we're going to have the father's answer here 
to the son's exasperation, to the son's frustration, to the son's irritation. And again, um, many of us, if not most of us, can see some older brother in us. Um, and we're Christians, we're believers, and we may be working and even working hard in the kingdom of God. So again, the father does not deny all that the young, young son said. Because his son has been working hard. His son has been doing the work of the kingdom. Um, he is his son. And so look what the father says, verse 31. My son, the father said, stop there. Again, it's speaking about a believer. He's already a son of God. As a matter of fact, he's a son who's doing the work of his father's kingdom. He's working hard in his father's field. My son, the father said, he's a son of God already. Nowhere in the Bible are you a son or daughter of God, your father, until you receive Jesus. My son, the father said, you are always with me. Look at the father's affirmation to this son. Look at how he's reasoning with the son. It says he pleaded with him. He's begging him. My son, the father said, you are always with me. When you're when you're saved, when you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and God is your Father, He is always with you. He'll never leave you or forsake you. My son, the Father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. Wow. He doesn't say that to the younger son. If, if you're walking with Jesus today and you're a son or daughter of God, your father, and, and you're an obedient son or daughter, and you're doing the work of the kingdom and you repent in the areas of your life that you fall short, he doesn't say to the younger son, everything I have is yours. He does kill the fattened calf for the younger son and he's excited and he's celebrating the younger son and he's affirming him. But to the older son, I mean... He says, you are always with me. You never, you haven't gone off and, you know, you have used your time, talents, and treasures in the advancement of my kingdom. You're always with me. Remember, the brother, you know, he went off to a distant country to misuse his, his father's estate or his inheritance. The older brother is, was always home serving his father. My son, the father said, you are always with me. Again, that's not a statement you would ever say to an unbeliever. But when you are a believer, you are always with the father. But then this last part, and everything I have is yours, not just the fattened calf. The father recognizes all that the older son has done and is doing. Everything I have is yours. Wow. There is nothing your heavenly father doesn't want to give you. Your heavenly father is God. Jesus is God. The Holy Spirit is God. Um, they own everything. Psalm 24, 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Everything belongs to Jesus. He owns everything. Everything belongs to your heavenly father. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, all he wants to do is bless you and give you Everything, because he, he owns everything. Everything is his. He has unlimited access to everything. And his heart is to bless us. But just like we would be with our children, the more obedient we are, the more he'll bless us and entrust us. Not just with physical things, but with revelation and insight into him. 
Uh, he'll bless us with a deeper intimacy and relationship with him. He has everything and all he wants to do is give. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave. But again, um, when our children misbehave, we don't bless them for that. We don't give them blessings for that. We would spoil them, right? Um, when our children are obedient and do what's right, we will increasingly give more to them, right? Um, but to disobedient children, we don't reward them with blessings and gifts. And it's the same with our Heavenly Father. Now remember, this has nothing to do with your salvation. You're saved only by what Jesus has done. But the more intimately and obediently you walk with your Father, um, the more quickly you repent for areas that are out of your life. Every day it seems I have to repent. The more intimately you'll walk with him and the greater blessings and insights he'll give you into himself as well as physical blessings. Verse 32, but we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, but we had to celebrate and be glad. Let's be glad when our brothers and sisters in Christ repent, no matter what they've done. When a brother and sister in Christ repents, let's not be critical. Let's not be bitter. Let's not be frustrated. Let's even celebrate with that. There will be time later and there needs to be time that, that, that older, more mature brothers begin to come in. In Galatians 6, you know, if any of you have sinned, you are spiritual or mature, restore them gently. There is a time, there'll be a time for restoration and accountability and to talk about, you know, how this brother or sister has been wasting their heavenly inheritance, has been wasting all that their father has been given them uh, in, in, in very, very poor ways. But as those who are doing the work of the kingdom, for those of us who, who are walking with Christ, no matter who we are today, let's celebrate and be glad when a brother or sister repents, or of course, when someone gets saved. We want to be glad. We want to be excited. It's even okay to, 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 to throw a party. The Father is overwhelmingly excited. Yes, when someone gets saved or even when a believer repents, when a believer is convicted, he's pleading with the older son. You notice he never pleads with the younger son. I'll say again, the more intimately you walk with the Father, the, the, more, the more he is going to, to come to you. I'll say again, he goes out to completely to the older son refuses, stops dead where he is. The father goes all the way to him. The father doesn't go to the, the son. The father waits till the son comes all the way back from the other country. And then when he sees him, he runs to him and throws his arm around him. Um, again, we see such a picture of love and mercy and compassion uh, in the heavenly father here over just over repentance and even begging the older son to repent. Again, I don't, he's not asking the, the older son to repent unto salvation. He's already saved. He's already his son. He's asking him to repent and come in the house and celebrate and be glad for your brother. The father knows all that the brother, the, the, the prodigal has done. But let's just be glad because your brother is home. He's safe and sound. We have him home and there'll be time to work on, on all his mistakes. But let's just love on him for now. This brother of yours was dead and is alive again. 
He was lost and is found. And again, this is not a salvation thing. We don't we don't become dead and alive again. We don't become saved and unsaved every time we, we do something wrong. It would happen 50 times a day. He was living a life of death. He was dead and is alive again. As believers, uh, Jesus said, I've come that you may have life and have it to the full, that you might have the fullness of life. Eternal life, remember, is not just a quantity of life, but a quality of life. And many of us as believers are living lives more like death than life. And many of us can identify with that. And particularly if, we're, if we live consistently misusing our father's inheritance, if we have consistent areas of sinful activity in our life where we don't repent, we're alive, we're believers, we've received Jesus, but we're living more a life of death than life. But we're still saved if you've received Jesus as your savior. But he's alive again. The prodigal repented. He came home. He repented of how he had misused his father's inheritance and squandered it on in wild living, as it says in the, uh, in the beginning of the parable. He was lost and is found. As believers, we can be lost. And many of us as believers are lost. We're not lost from our salvation, but we can be lost in sin, lost in just living our lives for ourselves and uh, using our time, talents, and treasures to our own ends, our own pleasures, our own advancement, our own career, our own family, our own everything. When the call of God on our lives is to, to use all that he's given us in the advancement of his kingdom. And again, it's, it's okay if we watch a movie, it's okay if we do things, but we want to increasingly use our time, talents, and treasures more and more for the advancement of the kingdom of God. Lord Jesus, we do thank you for this parable. We thank you for your mercy and goodness on our lives. We thank you for your favor and grace. We thank you again for the incredible parable of the prodigal son. Father, we ask you to forgive us just these, these aspects of the older brother. We ask you to help us to celebrate when a believer repents, when a, an unbeliever becomes a, a believer and gets saved. We just ask you to help us to have joy um, and excitement. Forgive us, Father, where, where we will identify people by their weaknesses um, forgive us when we get angry and bitter and frustrated and uh, all we want to do is see what people have done wrong. Help us, help us to be like you, Father. Um, help us to have this heart of yours in us, Father. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching from Kingdom Discipleship. For more information about our ministry, please visit www.kingdomd.org.